Hey, welcome once again to the Gary Wilkerson podcast. We have the privilege of having a wonderful guest with us, Dr. Fred Sanders. Uh, Fred is a professor at uh, Biola University, and he's written several amazing books on, on the Trinity. Um, I've read two of them now, and uh, just really blessed me and encouraged me. I, I hope you'll uh, read them as well. We'll put those in the show notes. Uh, uh, Fred, welcome. Glad you're here with us today to talk about, uh, particularly about the Holy Spirit's role in um, the Trinity. So welcome. Glad, glad you're with us again today. Thanks, Gary. It's good to be here again. Yeah. So you've been, um, you've kind of are, are known uh, in the Christian community for your studies in, in the Trinity, as, uh, among other things. Um, I've been trying to do some intense studies on the Trinity in the last few months. And I noticed not only in reading your books, but you're, you're mentioned quite often in other writers' books. They either have you write the foreword or they'll say, you know, as, as, as Fred Sanders says about this, they're quoting you. That's, that's a, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good thing that, uh, you know, you're getting your an audience that's really respecting uh, what you have to say. Yeah. That's always an honor. And of course I do, I, as a theologian, I do work on the academic side quite a bit, which is sort of like not for normal people, you know, but for <laughs> scholars. Uh, but I'm always, I'm always hoping and praying to be helpful, um, you know, to the cause of Christ at, at whatever level. So yeah, yeah, it's wonderful to find that, the writings have been helpful and they've gotten out there and at different levels, people uh, can get a hold of them. Yeah. Do you find that difficult being a theologian and being in an academic world um, to try to make, let's use the topic of the Trinity, for instance, to, to make the Trinity applicable, um, real, um, real life value in a sense to, to maybe not only your students, but to those that you're, you're writing to? Yeah, it really is a matter of finding sort of the right level that's helpful for the person you're talking to. Um, because, it, so to put on my academic hat for a minute, any subject you pick has an initial element of sort of accessibility. You know, um, I experience gravity every day. Cool, I could think about gravity. Well, then I talk to a physicist and they start really laying it out for me and the math comes out. And then I think, okay, that's, I didn't want to know that kind of detail. And in fact, then they'll get further into it and explain some paradoxes, you know, and then, in physical forces. And um, at some point, all of us recognize, okay, that's, that's for experts. Um, the thing is when it's something like God or the Holy spirit, or, you know, the biblical revelation of who God is, all Christians rightly feel ownership of that. Like that's, that's, that's their doctrine. That's not my specialist academic doctrine. Um, so you have to kind of negotiate it carefully when it comes to, um, uh, I'm about to do some advanced technical stuff that it's taken me years of training and I've read stacks of books to be able to think well about this and refer to the right sources, but I don't ever want to be like taking it out of the hands of normal believers. It's a little bit like, you know, a dentist knows a lot more about teeth than I do, but when he's working on my teeth, <laughs> I want his expertise to be there and relevant and operative. And yet these are really my teeth. You know, this is how Christian doctrine is too. I may come in with some academic expertise and I may be able to tell you, well, in the original languages cross-referenced with these other sources, and here's the history of interpretation, but these really are your doctrines, right? For, for normal Christians, these are, these are the doctrines of Christian believers. When you speak of gravity, you know, it's something that we all, you know, even if you've never looked at gravity at all before, you know, your gravity and you might know Newton's apple fell on his head, um, but, but you might not know a whole lot about it and you still survive. Um, <laughs> Would you be? Would you say you might be concerned? I think I am to a degree. Of the, the church's understanding of the Trinity is similar to gravity. It's like I know it's there, but I don't really know. Um, you, you know, uh, do you think we need to become more 
schooled in this more, maybe even more academic in this than we actually are right now as a church. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that, yeah. So if you want to kind of stick with the gravity uh, metaphor, you watch, you watch toddlers playing and they're kind of doing a certain form of naive physics constantly. They're trying out, you know, they are working on how these forces work. They're, they're playing with friction. They're playing with gravity. This is what they're doing all day long, but they're not, they're learning how to function in a world that's ordered this way physically. They're not doing the theory of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's very important, right? All the toddlers have to work that all out for themselves, like how to live among these physical forces. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as they grow and understand, and of course, if they um, enter the sciences and want to talk intelligently about that, their toddler level understanding of how to live with these forces is no longer appropriate because it doesn't have concepts and analytic clarity and names for things. Um, and yeah, so I, I rejoice that um, Christians who um, encounter Jesus Christ and hear the gospel and are born again, they are experiencing the triune God's saving work. Mm-hmm. Um, but at various levels in church life, uh, many of them also need to go on to a mature understanding that's going to involve some names and some concepts and some, <laughs> um, some theory even. Yeah, yeah, I think the the deeper, you know, the deeper you go, the more worshipful you become. You know, if I, I, I don't mean to beat this uh, gravity analogy to death, but, you know, the more I know about gravity, I don't necessarily start like exalting gravity or wanting to write a book about gravity. But the more I understand about the nature of God and his character and his oneness and his, uh, you know, the three persons and God, you know, the more I have become a person of, of uh, uh you know, real worship, real, real, real you know, it, it is a fall on your knees sort of and come to Jesus experience with, with the Trinity. It's uh, you know, and I, I was reading, um, reading something recently. Uh, get, I'm going to get your take on this. First time I ever heard this, uh, the guy is saying in his book, um, you know, you hear people say, I love Jesus. or I love the Holy spirit or I love you father, or I love the church, but you very rarely hear anybody say, I love you Trinity. And, and I didn't know whether or not, you know, as, and it caught me off guard because I don't think I've ever said, I love you, Trinity. Right. Uh, is the Trinity itself a, a worshipful entity or would you want to break it down into the persons? Um, I mean, you would basically want to break it down to the persons because that's a more concrete thought. You know, when you're, when you're worshiping God, the father, you're worshiping God um, as such um, concretely in the person of the father. Um Trinity is, of course, not a biblical word, um, and it has an element, I think it's fair to say it has an element of abstraction to it, um, to, to use a word like that to take in the whole doctrine of God. Mm. So there are, in the history of Christian uh, spirituality, some prayers to the Trinity, like the T word, you know, um, oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore, is a, mm. uh, one of the famous medieval prayers to the Trinity. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, if you kind of define this, the Trinity is God, you worship God. So yes, you can say, I worship the Trinity. And you can even say in prayer, I worship you, Trinity. But you can hear it's kind of an odd thing to say. John mm-hmm. Calvin didn't like it. He famously protested against um, that it's kind of barbaric to say, oh, Trinity, I worship you. Um, he wasn't objecting to the theology of worshiping the Trinity. He just thought that as a form of prayer, there was something going against the grain there. Yeah, yeah. That brings me to my next question. Um, can you uh, help clarify what might be muddled in the sense of you have three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then you have one substance, God himself. Sometimes that seems like there might be four 
elements. Oh yeah. Um, and, and how do you avoid that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and there have been, you know, um, church councils uh, d devoted to this. Um, uh, the 13th century had a really good clear one um, that, that looked at this. Um, yeah. And of course the word substance for what there's, what God is one of is um, not directly a biblical word. You know, what we have is um, there, God is one hero Israel, the Lord, your God is one. And God says of himself, I am that I am. And it's really that kind of self-referential, like, well, those are not technical words. I am that I am. Uh, but if we were going to say that um, sort of more descriptively, what would we say? I am that I am is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what's the isness there? And so mm -hmm. at that point, um, the Bible will a couple of times use an abstract word for this. So it's one thing to talk about God. And it's another thing to talk about God's godness. God is concrete. The godness by which God is God. Okay, that was, now we're getting abstract there. Um, and I'm not using the word abstract to condemn it. I'm just saying, oh, we've taken a step conceptually. Um, so you do have the word, um, I think it's in Greek, theotes or theotetes or something. In the King James Bible, it's translated in Romans 1, Godhead. You know, it's the 1611 word for Godhood or Godness. But the word Godhead is just so Shakespeareanly awesome you know, <laughs> that it kind of sticks around in our minds like, oh, Godhead itself. It is an abstract word for Godhood, Godness, or you could say like that through which God is God. Like we know God is God and he says, I am that I am. But what is the Godness through which God is God? Well, this is the sentences are going to reach semantic overload here in a minute where they stop making sense. But God is the Godness through which God is God. Okay. God doesn't have like, like I am, I am who I am as well but I am who I am because I have human essence, which I have because God created it and I have it. And mm -hmm. I'm not identical with my human essence because right. you got it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but but that, God just is the Godness with which he is God. That's the divine substance of which there's one. Is that the terminology when they, when theologians use the word simplicity of God? Or is that what you're, or? Oh yeah. When I did that move where I said, you know, God's not God with something outside of God. He just is. Right. That's simplest. That's what we mean by simplicity, which is. Yeah. So that's, that's in the Godhead is that's who he is. The father, son, and Holy spirit have all man. I'm, my mind's going in a hundred places. And I know we want to get to the Holy spirit. Yeah. Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and simplicity is, it's a beautiful doctrine. You can do it with the divine essence, but you can also do it with the, the obvious divine attributes. Like, you yeah. know, God is great. Well, where did he get his greatness? Well, like if I, if I become great, it's because I go out and get some greatness. Right. Um, that's not how God is great. God's greatness is God. God is great with the greatness that he is. Yeah. And you can, you can do that with all of them, right? He's good with the goodness that he is. He's merciful with the mercy that he is. Yeah. And then in the Trinity, the, uh, the, the one, I'll use that word we talked about a moment ago, substance. The one substance is identical. Uh, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three have the exact same power, the exact same love, the exact same wisdom, um, the exact same, uh, and where it gets a little cloud, more cloudy to me is where they have, where we're told they have the exact same will or the exact same consciousness. Yes. Uh, that, that throws me off a little bit because if they have the exact same consciousness, I no longer see them as persons. Uh, it's easier to see them as, uh, is there a name for that where you only see God as, uh, was that the, uh, council of Nicaea that, uh, was fighting against, um, I can't remember the name of it now. There, um, 
Yeah, um, it can sound more like modalism. Modalism, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yes, but I think I think the way you just laid that out is exactly right. That um, when you say the exact same, it's it's not that the Father is Almighty and then the Son is another different Almighty with a second Almightiness. Right. <laughs> so the Almightiness the Father has has to be the same Almightiness that the Son has, has and is. We could say if that's not too. Okay. <laughs> That's not too mind blowing. The father has and is the same almightiness that the son has and is, yeah. but the father's not the son. And this, this finally is why we're never counting to four, because it's not like there's father, son, spirit, and then their divine essence. The father has and is the divine essence. The son mm -hmm. has and is the same exact yeah. same divine essence. Wow. And the spirit has and is the same divine essence. I love that. That's powerful. And then then the next step where you took it with like a, what we might think of as a personal attribute, which uh, a consciousness will, things like that, things that for us as finite creatures um, belong specifically to us as ourselves. Um, they just don't map onto God in that way. Um, they, they instead belong to the one divine essence. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're, if they're, where I get confused is if they're exactly the same, <clears throat> Father is the same will, same conscious, then it sounds like the difference is very minuscule, almost like the only difference in Jesus, the Son, is that he actually comes, you know, <laughs> he gets out of the Father, but that, and that's the only difference there, but, but there, or the, the Spirit is, uh, proceeds from, um, is there, yeah. are there, can we draw any more specific uh, differences in the Trinity and be safe? Yeah. So, um, so I think the way you put that is it sounds like a very small difference. Um, and, and I think uh, it takes a while to kind of warm up to this, but I think that's actually the right way to think about it. If you, if you, if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the oneness of God, the unity of God is so clear. Um, you know, and you, so you get through most of the Bible, you know, you're powering your way through the Old Testament and it's really clear that God is one. Um, and so when it turns out that the son is also God, um, on the one hand, you want to say the son is clearly not the father because the father sends the son. And therefore, unless we're going to be modalist about this or unless God changed or something, it just has to be the case that the father is not the son, that they are in relation to each other and therefore not the same person from all eternity. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that would affect their consciousness as well. Like, well, this yeah. So what you said, you kind of want the minimal difference. Like they are distinct from each other, but you don't want a list of twenty-seven ways they're different, right? You don't want to do personality tests and see that they're, you know, oh, they're they're so richly diverse from each other. Um, if you're going to stay monotheistic, you really do want the least possible difference. Now it's got to be a definite distinction so that the Father doesn't collapse into the Son. You know, Jesus says, "I and the Father are one." He doesn't say, I and the Father am one. He yeah. says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's about his revelation, you know, um, to us. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say, I am the Father. That's why if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. Right? So there is a distinction between Father and Son. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, next week, we're having Matthew Bar Bar Barrett, Bar uh, Barrett on. I think yes. you know him or mm -hmm. have done some stuff with him. And um, he, he argues for, I think rightly so, um, <clears throat> that the uh, Christian community today uh, seems to land more on tritheism, uh, seeing these three entities as separate 
entities and have, have sort of almost forgotten, you know, because we read, you know, we read the Gospels, the book of Acts, and we see, see this is the Holy Spirit, and he does this, and, and I, I prayed to the Holy Spirit, and this happened, or I prayed to the Father, and he, you know, and so there, there seems to be, um, you know, we've kind of, this pendulum has swung from monotheism, uh, the oneness of God, to, to almost seeing him as three separate entities totally. I, I think that's right. And so if you, um, you know, the three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, that's the biblical language given to us, Matthew 28. Um, what we aren't given there is a noun for what each of the three is, okay. right? So um, baptize them in the name, one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Great. That's, I could be happy with that doctrine of the Trinity, you know, Matthew 28's doctrine of the Trinity. I could be happy with that. The T word's not there. There's no noun for what the three are. But when you start talking about it and you want to be clear, um, you're going to need a noun. The noun we have is person. But person doesn't mean just everything it means in our experience. Like, this is why we would never say there are three people in the Trinity. Hmm. Have you ever noticed that? In, in normal English, we um, no one talks about persons except like the fire marshal who would say occupancy limited to 50 persons. I don't know why those signs talk like that. But in Christian theology, the reason we, in English, we say three persons of the Trinity instead of three people is to mark that there's a difference, mm -hmm. right? So that there's not three distinct instances of consciousness and will and desire and personal life histories. Um, and they don't have a relationship like an ongoing series of encounters where they get to know each other more intimately. Right? Yeah. It's not that sort of like 60s style relationship. Yeah. You know? It's a relation. Yeah, it's like, a relation of persons, not a relationship among people. Yeah, it's not a, like a, a, a divine community where they're just hanging out and drinking coffee yeah. and um, really, really know each other. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's and I actually thing. think this is one of the areas where the Holy Spirit, um, where we're thinking about the Holy Spirit as a person of the Trinity is really helpful because the Father and the Son are so concrete. And of course, Jesus Christ, um, it, you know, is, is um, directly present to us in Scripture. Um not only as a person of the Trinity, but as a person of the Trinity incarnate, you know, in human nature, so that he is presenting himself to his disciples in that way. They do have a relationship between people, right? Um, but the Holy Spirit, um, in the biblical witness, usually comes along later, like we get instruction about the Holy Spirit later on, mm -hmm. and then we have to think back because we're told that he was there the whole time, right? Right. So this happens in book after book in the Bible, and I would argue in the entire Bible. Um, John, Gospel of John, chapters 1 through 13 are almost entirely about the Father and the Son. The Father sent the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Son does what the Father tells him to do. Um, then in chapter 14, the Holy Spirit comes along for maybe about the only seventh time he's been mentioned in the, in the book of John. And then it's all about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, so you get him like late in the, late in the game. But then you find out that he'd been there the whole time. Like, oh, the only reason any of this worked, the only what it means for the father to show me the son is that the Holy Spirit was working in me. Mm -hmm. Now, I think uh, some people are sort of plagued by how vague and sort of impersonal the Holy Spirit can seem. And also, why, why would the Bible leave the Holy Spirit out of what it says until a later step? And then make me think retroactively that the Holy Spirit had been there all along. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's helpful because you notice that the Holy Spirit is somebody, but is not just the same kind of somebody that we are, right? It's, you're not going to confuse the Holy Spirit with, um, 
you're not going to think of them as people instead of a person is right. one thing I could say. Yeah. The Holy Spirit, um, in your understanding, you know, like the, the, the um, Christ has a, a human nature and a divine nature. It seems sometimes the Holy Spirit has two natures. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody actually talk about that, but he seems to have more of the, um, floating mystical the breath of the Holy Spirit. And then he seems to be more personal as well. Like he, like where he's talked about as a, he, is that just sort of language we're using to try to describe the Holy Spirit or is there two different types of nature within the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Um, well, I wouldn't say two natures just cause that would sound kind of like the incarnation. Right. Um, I, but I don't know what the right word is um, aspect or something like that. Um, and it is two ways of, the Bible talking about it. So this is God's own self-revelation includes both personal and impersonal elements, um, which, which I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, so doctrinally, we know that the spirit is a person. So the way I say this is the Holy Spirit is a person who sometimes uh, manifests himself impersonally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wind, fire, um, power, the spirit comes upon you. Um, all of these sort of impersonal ways of talking about the spirit, it would be a mistake to say, since the spirit is talked about impersonally, therefore the spirit is not a person. Right. I think the right way to say it is, oh no, the spirit is the person of the Trinity who is most frequently talked about in impersonal terms. Yeah. Of course, the son um, is also talked about in impersonal terms sometimes as the gift of God um, or Oh, in the pastoral epistles, it'll say, or no, in um, Ephesians, Paul says, you didn't learn Christ that way. Hmm. He doesn't say learn about Christ or learn from Christ. He says, learn Christ as if Christ is a subject Hmm. that God is teaching us. Hmm. Well, we know Christ is personal, but at least there in Ephesians, he can be talked about impersonally. Same is true for the spirit, but the spirit is overwhelmingly talked about impersonally, except in those key places you mentioned where, oh, clearly he can be grieved. He can pick out Paul and Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ways in which it becomes clear that he's personal. Yeah, excellent. For somebody who studies the Trinity, you know, as, as a large portion of your ministry, uh, what is it you, you mentioned um, to me uh, as we've been corresponding that you've been really delving into the Holy Spirit, particularly lately? What stirred that up in you and uh, what, why are you interested particularly in that right now? Yeah, um, there is so one thing is I'm writing a short book on it for Crossway um, that'll come out uh, sometime next year, um, and so just the assignment you know required me to do it. But this dynamic I described, where the the Bible gives you sort of um, revelation about the Father and the Son, and then sort of makes you wait a while to get the revelation about the Spirit. Again, to think about John's Gospel: in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's a lot to think about, and it's mainly about God and his word or the father and the son. And then later on, the spirit, the information about the spirit comes, and it sort of washes back over everything you knew, and you realize, oh, the spirit was here the entire time. That's sort of, for me, that's the beautiful point where the the fullness of the revelation sort of comes upon you at that point. Um, And and you can find this in, in Christian spirituality all over the place where someone will say, um, I knew the Father saved me by sending the Son, but unless the Holy Spirit had applied this to my life and indwelt me, it would have made no difference. Mm. Um, and there's something about sort of, uh, I don't know, like ties the bow on top, you know, something, there's something when that, <laughs> we talk about you hear one shoe drop and you wait for the second shoe to drop. 
with the Trinity, it's sort of like until you hear that third shoe drop, which is a weird <laughs> metaphor, right? <laughs> until that third one hits, um, it's still kind of, it's real, it's real knowledge of God, but it hasn't sort of come together in this sort of compact way. Um, so for me, it's it's when the third person of the Trinity becomes explicit, clear, and you think about who he is, yeah. that the whole doctrine of the Trinity really has sort of arrived and yeah. uh, is there for you to ponder. And, and what um, what's your basic premise in, in the book you're writing? Uh, what is it about the Holy Spirit that you're trying to communicate? Yeah, so um, two things. One is what I've just described is this sort of retrospective element where you you meet him last, but it turns out he was there first, right? <laughs> Pentecost happens and everyone goes back and says, yeah, but the spirit was, the spirit of God was on this face of the deep, right, in the, in the very beginning. Um, there's that. And then the other thing is the Trinitarian grammar of how to think well about the spirit. So a lot of people sort of remain in a state of always wondering, like, when will I really understand the spirit? And you kind of teach them about the spirit. And then a week later, they want to revisit it. Like it's not settled. Okay, let's talk about that again. Okay, we'll say the same things again. So I'm really appealing to the clarity of the doctrine of the Trinity, the clear doctrinal lines that are laid down there to say, if the spirit is a person of the Trinity, then we know a number of things about him. Uh, we know he's God because each of the persons is God. Right. We know that he's not the father. We know that he's not the son. We know that he stands in particular relations to the Father and to the Son. And so to just kind of work that um, Trinitarian grammar mm. to help underline the clarity that we do have about who the Spirit is. And, and the, you know, and each, each even, even though they're one, they impact us differently. Would that be correct? Yeah. And how, how, how does the Holy Spirit impact us differently than the Father and the Son? Yeah. And, and this is the, I think, the maybe the tricky or the slippery thing about thinking well about the Holy Spirit. Um, the Spirit is not presented to us in Scripture as another object of faith. So um, I grew up Pentecostal, and I'm not talking about, here about spiritual experience and like Pentecostalism or charismatic circles or anything like that. Um, but I am talking about a certain kind of subsequence. So that is to say, um, the Father uh, saves uh, by sending the Son, and you have faith in the Son, and to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is to believe in the Son and the Father. Mm -hmm. And then when you learn about the Holy Spirit, you don't have like a second act of faith where like, first I believed in the Son, but now I have this other act of faith where I have faith in the Spirit. Hmm. Actually, what it turns out that when you have faith in the Son, the reason you are having faith in the Son is because the Spirit is operative in you, right? Hmm. Um, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Um, it's the spirit in us that cries out, Abba, Father. So you got to be careful about this because I don't want to minimize the spirit. It is possible to ignore or neglect or minimize the Holy Spirit. And that's that's wrong. But it's also possible to overemphasize the spirit and sort of make him another Jesus where you think like, you know, I believe in the son and I'm saved. And then step two, I have this other faith in the spirit over here. No, that one act of faith you had in the son of the father. Right is the work of the spirit in you. And so there's something like reflective or retroactive um, going on. It's, and that's the other thing is like, there's me, there's Jesus, here's faith. And then as you grow in your understanding of this, you realize, oh wait, all of this is happening in the context or the atmosphere or the power of the spirit. Right. Wow, that's dynamic, isn't it? Um, 
you're going to be kind enough to come back with us next week. And uh, I really want to dig into this because, man, you're hitting on all cylinders here right now. And uh, some really important stuff. And got a lot of questions, too, about, um, you know, you mentioned being raised in a Pentecostal church. I was as well. And, um, you know, that that brings up some questions about the Holy Spirit that uh, we want to talk about next week, too. So, uh, Dr. Fred, thanks for uh, taking time with us this week. And I uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you again next week. All right. Good to talk with you, Ian Gary. Uh, catch, uh, check out Fred's books on, on Amazon. There's, uh, can you go through it real quickly, just a list of the books that you've written so we, our audience could uh, pick those up as soon as possible? Yeah, well, the main book is The Deep Things of God from Crossway. That's out in a second edition with a study guide. Um, yeah. And then at a more academic level, there's the Zondervan book, The Triune God, mm-hmm. in the series New Studies and Dogmatics. Yeah. Um, and then I also wrote a book with Crossway on uh, John Wesley, um, so, um, uh, the heart renewed in love, uh, John Wesley on the Christian life. Powerful. I recommend those books highly. Thanks, Fred. The Gary Wilkerson podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.